singing, you may be seated. This time, pastor's going to come and preach. Okay, let me get this thing turned down here. Hey, it's good to be in the Lord's house, isn't it? I tell you, the Lord is good, and I am so grateful for a place where we can come and we can worship. I was just talking to somebody about uh, that uh, yesterday. I was with Paul, uh, Paul Hanson. We were uh, laying out the flyers and, you know, door hangers and came across somebody, and, and I could truly say this. I, I don't put on. I truly say I love this place. I love the people. And I should say that because I'm the pastor, but I, I love this place, and, I, and, it's, and it's absolutely true. It's just a, a great thing to be able to, to have a church and have a church of people that, that want to love the Lord, want to follow Him. And, and uh, tonight we're going to be getting into some things in the Word of God that's uh, uh, just... Uh, there's, there's a big book that the Lord has given us, and He says, uh, teach all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And sometimes I can't understand how... Uh, churches and people are thinking that um, just maybe, uh, you know, just a small time during the week and that's it and you got everything covered. Boy, I tell you what, even with, you know, three regular services, we got, well, Sunday school and then Sunday morning and then Sunday evening and then Wednesday evening and with the four services, there's still not enough time to cover everything that you'd like to cover, but the, there's a lot that uh, we're going to be getting to and, and uh, I just love having a place to where we can go and, and we know it's... Uh, it's going to be a place where we learn more of the Bible, learn more what the Bible says about our lives, and so that's what we're going to be doing tonight. But before we get into that, it's good to see Daniel. Hey, Daniel, uh, back from uh, California. I understand he's going to be around for a little bit. And uh, we every once in a while, like uh, Labor Day uh, 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 weekend that we have here, sometimes our own folks are out, and we have many that are out that are visiting. And then we had some this morning that were here from out of town, and that's always a blessing. And Hannah's here, Hannah Giron. Hannah, why don't you come on up here, because we don't get a chance to see her often, but uh, she just went off, um, was it about six or eight months ago? I can't remember now how long ago that was. Eight months, eight months. Why don't you tell us how the military's going, what's going on, how to pray for you, and so it's good to see you. Good to see you here. Amen. Hi. <laughs> okay, so I left for the Navy February 7th. And I was in boot camp for about two months, and I graduated April 6th, and then I went to my command in Damnock, Virginia, where I went to school to be an IS. And I graduated A school July 6th, the day before my birthday, and then I um, just graduated C school, what, August 24th. So it's been kind of a whirlwind ride, just going to school and just training, and now I'm on my way to my first command in San Diego, which... Um, is going to be the USS America, which is an LHA. So it's uh, an amphibious ship. So I'll be working with some Marines, which I guess will kind of be fun. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but um, just the Lord has been with me my entire journey through the Navy, just um, blessing me and watching over me as I've kind of gone on this little adventure because there's been some rough patches. Um, I'm not always the... I've kind of gotten in trouble sometimes, but obviously I'm good. And, uh, you know, boot camp was tough, you know, in its own way. Just, you know, being away from home and experiencing something different for the first time in your life. But when I go to my first ship, I'd really just appreciate that you just pray for just the entire ship um, because eventually we're going to be going to Japan in the next year. And Japan's kind of by China, and China kind of doesn't like us. So... Just, just pray just for the safety of the crew and for um, just the, the people in the Navy in general because 
we need your prayers, and we'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Now, there's probably a lot of things that she actually won't say because her parents are here. But, uh, amen, I tell you, we're proud. We're proud of our young people and, and uh, those that have uh, grown up here and, and going out and serving the Lord in different places. And you be praying, especially for those that are in our military. And there's a lot of pressures. There's a lot of things going on. And, and uh, I know the Lord will be with you. I know the Lord will, will go with you. That's a blessing. That's a blessing to know the Lord. It's a blessing to know that he is uh, capable. He's worthy of every and any situation that we, we have before him. So, yeah, amen. Well, good. Thank you. Appreciate that. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And let's look at just one verse right now. And then we'll stop, back up, and we'll put it in context in the entire uh, passage of Scripture that we're going to be continuing on. This is the fourth in, st in the series of uh, latter times ministry. Latter times, the, in the last days, how... What should we be doing? How should we be? And, and the conditions around us and where we are. And so let's take a look at First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse number 3. Just verse number 3 right now. We'll stop, we'll pray, and then we'll go back into uh, the passage. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Stop right here. Thank the Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you would be with us this uh, time and your word, this service, Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, manifest your presence to us, that you would speak to hearts, that you give us wisdom and guidance. Lord, help me to say what I should and not say what I should not. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with us in the service. I pray that as we go over um, these concepts and these truths in your word, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have an understanding. It would be a closed book without your illumination. So, Lord, as the psalmist prayed, open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. So as we get, get into your law, into your word, into your scripture here, Lord, I pray that, that uh, you would open our eyes so that we can grasp, we can learn, we can um, be warned and, and uh, uh, be strengthened and guided and, and illuminated to the, the, the landscape around us. And so, Lord, we do live in some precarious times. I pray, Lord, that you just bless. Bless your people right now here in these next few moments. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy chapter 4. We'll go back to verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 9. This is the, we'd like to, we'd like to you know, hit this cover. We've, we've begin, begun with this uh, back in July is when we started with the series, but we'd like to, to finish this section. So let's go back and put it in context from verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that's expressly, not expressly, like espresso. No, it's not espresso, it's expressly. The Spirit speaketh, in other words, you know, firmly or, or uh, fervently. This is important. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, and that's the times in which we live here right now, folks, uh, technically uh, from the time of the cross till the time of Jesus' return. This is called, it's all the latter times. But uh, as we said before, it seems as though we're in the last days of the last days because of how the things are falling in place as they are. But, and we're, we're here in those times. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience <clears throat> seared, 
with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. Now we started in this series looking at an effective ministry in these latter days. We kind of think that we'd better learn some kind of a new, unusual procedure to battle in a particular way in these latter-day times. But when it's all said and done, it'd be foolish for us to, to veer from the path that the Lord has for us and the instruction that He has given us. We don't need to change things up. Uh, like the Word of God is somehow ineffective because people don't believe it. We live in an unbelieving society. I wish it wasn't like that, but that's where we are. There, there are many that are in the, the uh, society in which we live. They just don't buy it. They don't look at the Word of God for what it is, but that's okay. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse number 3, the question is a good question. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, let, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Last time we began looking at the current condition of society of those who reject. <clears throat> we certainly do live in the middle of an unbelieving society, and that's a great question. What if some did not believe? It's a great question today. Uh, the, we're not to change things up. We're not to drop the most effective tools that we have in the Word of God that cannot be broken. So here we are in the latter times, and these are the things that will be taking place around us. One of the things, and we started with verse number three before we finish the passage, I'd like to hit this and, because it's current. It's, it's where we live. There will be those who will forbid to marry. Now, where have we seen that? Where is that prevalent in today's society? We're hearing more and more of the incredible wickedness that is being disclosed concerning child molestations that have been perpetrated by the priests and leadership of the Catholic Church. I mean, it's in the news, and it's in the news all the time, and you hear that. And you, you hear uh, uh, Hollywood, and you hear the, 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 the cesspool of Hollywood be condemning uh, the, the uh, Catholic Church and the priesthood because of, you know, the, what has taken place, and it's, 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 I mean, it's right for anybody to call out something that's wrong or sin or wickedness, but that's like the, the uh, pot calling the kettle black as far as that's concerned. Well, it's a fitting protest for society to rise up against debauchery pushed upon society by such a degenerate clergy and especially the corporate cover-up. And that, see, folks, that's the, that's the problem that we see. And that's, that's where attention has got to be brought, a corporate cover-up um, that was active and indefensible. We're going to look at the Bible's perspective of these practices. 
What can we deduce as far as the reasons for such an inordinate amount of such child abuse and particularly homosexual activity? Why? Why is there so much child abuse? Why is there so much uh, that comes out of that when it's something supposed to be from a religious organization? Well, our text certainly paints a picture of a, a demonically influenced departure from the faith. Isn't that what he said? Here Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse number 3. He says, this is what it's going to be like in the latter times. Some shall do this, 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 and they'll forbid to marry. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. It goes on to, to say the right, to say this is... This is how it should be. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. He says, but there are some groups that say it's spiritual to not eat, to be deprived of that which God has provided to satisfy hunger. Now, it's talking about two things here. It's talking about you know, fasting and, and uh, that kind of a, uh, religious activity. But then it's also talking about marriage. The two indulgences that are forbidden that God never forbade here in the text are regular sexual fulfillment and food. Verse number three again, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God never said you should be abstaining from meats, from those meats. Neither are forbidden. Neither of those are sinful or, if you will, anti-spiritual. It's not carnal to eat because you're hungry and you eat and you fulfill the, the uh, natural appetites of a, of a body that God has given. God has designed a person to have hunger and so that they will go ahead and, and uh, feed themselves and get nutrition, get what the body needs. That's natural. That's God designed. That's God ordained. That's the blueprint that God gave us. And there's some that come along and say, hey, now if you really want to be spiritual, this is what you do. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. It's the upside-down world of a pseudo-spirituality that men attempt to separate themselves from appetites. From, from all appetites. In order to graduate to a higher plane of spiritual consciousness. Folks, it's nonsense. <clears throat> it's nonsense. It's ridiculous. It's hogwash. There are monasteries, there's a monastic system that kind of have, has uh, developed in the, I don't know, 10th, 11th century. Of, uh, uh, you know what, what monasteries are? It's where, where holy men or holy people can separate themselves from society and give up certain creature comforts so that they become spiritual. So they become, become more spiritual. Monasteries that promote the deprival of basic satisfactions or gratifications that God never condemned or never placed off limits. But they say it's the way to become spiritual. See, because, of course, we're, we're more spiritual than God. <coughs> you know, we could go ahead and try to determine how that <coughs> we can become more and more spiritual and have more of, a, moral, more of a, a spiritual aptitude than before by depravity from things that God says, no, these, these, are, these are things that you're supposed to have, you're supposed to enjoy, you're supposed to uh, partake of. Sometimes in a monastic system, there's a de deprival of speech. Where there are monasteries that uh, holy men will go to, whether it's uh, 
kind of in the Catholic realm or sometimes in Eastern mysticism where they go to where they're deprived of speech. You can't talk. From here on, for years at a time, can't say anything. You don't, you don't use your words anymore, and there's a deprival of speech, or maybe warmth, or you sleep on beds of nails or whatever. You know, sometimes it's food, you know, fasting for long periods of time. Uh, I know there's this one guy right now in India that has supposed to not have eaten for 17 years or something like that. Really? And, and, you know, it's, you can Wikipedia it. You can, you know, look it up. And this guy, I can't remember what his name's long, you know, uh, Indian name where, you know, and he's looked at like some kind of a spiritual guru that, you know, it's amazing. This guy has not eaten for 17 years. And then there's some uh, skeptical scientist that said, well, let's go ahead and, you know, document this. And so then they study him for a certain time. And then he's off outside of their, their perusal for, you know, time of, you know, uh, out in the, in the courtyard and whatever and whatever, I don't know, eating grass. <laughs> but it's not, it's, they're not scientific studies, folks, I'm telling you, you know, because if a person doesn't eat, they will die, okay? And that's, that's all there is to it. The guy doesn't eat or drink and hasn't for 17 years. Right, right. Oh, but that's supposed to make you really, 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 really spiritual to have the deprival of creature comforts, all to deprive us of anything Physical, because the physical world is mistakenly understood to be carnal and sinful. That's why. Because there's this dichotomy where everything in the physical world is carnal, and so therefore things that, are, that you can't see are in a different realm or in a, in a different, um, uh, 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 what do you call that, uh, dimension. Now that's spiritual, that's good. Anything that's physical that you can see, touch, eat, you know, partake of, that's Sinful. No, that's not true. It reminds me of the, the uh, 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 man that went into the monastery and, was, and he was uh, to be given <clears throat> a vow of silence. Couldn't say anything. For five years, could not say anything. And every five years, they would give these participants the opportunity to say two words. Five years, he was in this monastery. And at the end of five years, he came before the, uh, the uh, Monsignor or whatever. And uh, they said... Okay, uh, Brother Mole, you're, uh, you have stayed here for five years, an exemplary student, an exemplary, you know, uh, 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 monasterial, whatever they call him, I don't know. <laughs> and he says, you can, you can go ahead and now you have opportunity to say your two words. What are they? And he thought for a while and he said, cold food. And the Monsignor said, well, of course, you've been just an exemplary uh, uh, character of spirituality. We could do that, you know, we could, we could uh, up the food. And so they did. They, they took care of the food, you know. And so the next five years came along, ten years uh, into it. And he came to say his next two words. And, and so the Monsignor said, okay, it's time. You can say two words of your choice. He thought, he said, hard bed. And the guy said, of course we could take care of that. I mean, they have such a wonderful character here and, and, and such a force for our, for our monastery. Of course we could take care of that and give you a, a comfortable bed, you know, and the, five years later, 15 years now, he's into it, 15 years. He comes, and so the Monsignor says, okay, what are your two words? He says, I quit. 
And Monsignor says, well, that's not surprising because you've done nothing but complain ever since the first time that you got here. You know? <laughs> well, anyway. Yeah, wow. Okay, let's get back onto the scripture here. While it is true that we are carnal, you know, we, you know, uh, looking at the dichotomy between physical and spiritual, yeah, we are carnal. And, and the Bible does say that we are, as humans, we're sold under sin. And that we've got to develop our divine nature or the new man of the New Testament, uh, which is uh, contrary to the physical or, or opposite the physical. You, got, you cannot confuse things by believing that everything in the physical or in the physical world is sinful. It's not. It's not, folks. Our text corrects that notion. Look at it. First Timothy chapter 4, verse number 3 says, uh, you know, there's some that are going to be coming along and forbid to marry this and that. And he goes on to say, uh, food which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. He says, this is not wrong. This is not bad. It's not carnal if a person eats or partakes of or, or enjoys the things that God has designed for us to partake in. No, but folks, I'm telling you, especially in the Northwest, we live in some kind of a uber spiritual world. People are very, very spiritual around here, but they're looking for spirituality in all the wrong places. Just like you've heard of the, the phrase, uh, he's looking for love or she's looking for love, but in all the wrong places. Yeah, they're looking for spirituality in all the wrong places. <clears throat> We're in this area, very, very uh, spiritual, into crystals and metaphysics and yoga and uh, meditation. Meditation of the wrong kind, not meditation in the Word of God, but uh, meditation of, of just un, unhooking the, the, uh, the uh, conscious mind, which is not good. Uh, aliens, witchcraft, fortune tellers, psychic readers, astrology, psychic power, and the monasticism of the super spiritual depravity of physical comforts like fasting or celibacy. Like that's supposed to be super spiritual. If we keep things in the proper place, then we can partake of many regular satisfactions with divine blessings. And it's okay and it's good. And God has taught that. He, 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 he has made that clear. It's when food or passion or desire is warped. It can be placed alongside a taboo position that it can be used for evil. Then you've got to be careful about anything, no matter what it is, whether it's physical or whatever. Proverbs chapter 23, verse number 1. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. He says, you better be careful if you really enjoy food. And, but here, going overboard, a man given to appetite. He says, be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. He says, hey, listen, you better be careful. You're in a situation, just because there's something that's desirable, then you're going to go ahead and uh, uh, not watch, not be what you should, and lower the guard. Agree to things that you should not agree because you like the pleasure. That's what he's talking about here. Hungering for food is not wrong. It's only when that desire becomes distorted in place or importance above other things such as honor or virtue or character or prudence. 
the man in question in Proverbs. He's given to, it says, he's given to his appetite, meaning that he, he wants to eat these fine foods so much that he'll surrender his honor or his integrity, integrity to get them. This can be applied to any pleasures, any kind of creature comforts, a fine home, status, fame, wealth, position. If somebody wants something so badly that they're willing to fudge, they're willing to lie, they're willing to be dishonest about it to get it, his appetite for these things distorts his integrity to have them. And that's why the writer of Proverbs says, hey, that's bad. That's where food then becomes bad because you're not... You understand? You're with me here? Am I getting across what I'm trying to say along with with the food that we're talking about? Just food. But food can become bad if that thing is, is so desired and it's even above the desire to please God or to do right or to be truthful. His appetite for these things distorts his integrity to have them. Is food bad? Well, not according to God. He made it to be received with thanksgiving. Didn't he say that? He says meats are to be received with thanksgiving. It's good. Nothing to be refused. That's in the text, folks. Nothing to be refused. If it's consumed within the bounds of a proper value. Let me ask you something. Are beans bad or sinful? Well, not unless you consider the cabin that we're bunking in at the men's retreat after a dinner of cornbread and beans. And, you know, then it could be a little dicey there, but... Uh, But that's not what we're talking about here. No, food is food, and it's not bad. It's not inherently evil. But beans are not ordinarily sinful. Well, what about the instance when Esau sinned greatly before God in elevating his immediate hunger pains to trade it in for long-lasting honor and value? You remember that in Genesis chapter 25? Jacob sawed pottage. Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. Hey, parents, did you ever hear that from your kids? They come in after playing you know, ball or whatever. I'm so hungry, I'm starving, I'm going to die. Yeah, that's what he was saying to his brother. He said, I'm going to die, man. I'm so hungry. I just, I need to eat. Man, give me some of that. And he says, Oh. Okay, how about we trade your continued honor in the family and this thing that lasts for generations for this plate? That's a bad deal. But look what he said. He says, he says uh, I am at the point to die, verse 32. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him and sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, beans. Lentils. Lentils, folks. Lentils is nothing to write home about as far as I'm concerned. I I, I really don't like lentils. I mean, they're okay. I mean, I'll eat them if I go to prison and I have to eat lentils to survive. (laughs) I will. My my wife came across a, a recipe about with this, you know, new recipe with lentils, and, and she goes, hey, now this will... And so I tried it. Guess what? It was lousy. <laughs> I said, you could take that recipe and chunk it, you know. And anyway, just lentils. Pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went, up, went his way. And look at what it says. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Well, no, no, he just liked the pot of lentils. 
No, no, he despised. He, it, was on a, it was on a value system. And he said, I'd rather have this than that. And he despised his birthright. The sin was in placing the importance of this temporary satisfaction over real value. Satan is an expert at taking the good and the wholesome and using it to warp our relationship with God. Such is the case in the marriage relationship. Now, Jesus warned of regular family relationships that could be used as a tool to pollute our relationship with God. Now, pay attention, folks. This is where we live. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. How about that? He was saying, now, wait a minute. You've got to be careful about the place of your loved ones in your heart before God. What is most important? Do you love God more, most, supreme? Or do you put someone else in that place that only God? Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What? Do you hear what he said? Are, are we not to love our family? Shouldn't we love our family? Isn't that what the Bible uh, tells us to do? Should we hate our family to qualify to follow the Lord? Well, no, folks, this is in comparison here. Jesus is, is just illustrating that we're commanded to love God supremely, so much so that anybody in second place comes in a comparison, looks like love and hate. I mean, that's how much you love the Lord. That's what he's getting at there. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, folks. Any, even it's even uh, second place should, should pale to the love, to the devotion, to our, our worship and our attitude and respect and, and fear to God. You, you understand? Hey, I've seen it before where some, some even sin before God because it's time for them to get saved. It's time for them to commit to Christ and they know they need to be saved, but they're in a situation where maybe in their family or, or those that they, they're in a respected uh, position where if they were to be saved, this was going to start a, a World War II in my house. My husband, my wife is going to leave me or, or my, you know, and, and all of a sudden, well, do, do I have God or do I have my loved one? Hey, the, the, the first and the greatest command Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. How many refuse to be saved because of a family that they anticipate will reject them for their faith? And it happens in these pews all the time and in this nation, but it especially happens in places where, where there's intense and outright persecution against Christian, Christianity and Christian faith. If somebody gets saved, they forsake, they lose their family, they lose the love of their home. <clears throat> Human or family love can be used as something bad or wrong or detrimental if it's in the wrong place. Let me go ahead and stop right here, okay, and address something. Lest we mistake an inordinate love for our, uh, our children. Parents, 
Love your kids. You're supposed to. That's what the Bible commands us to do, to protect them, provide for them, etc. We're to love our kids, but never allow them to get in the way of obeying the Lord. Well, you know, preacher, we really can't attend the services properly because, you know, Junior or, you know, uh, little sissy here, she, you know, she, she needs some sleep and, you know, or, or, you know, whatever. We've got to take care of, you know, she's on this regimen. And, and so, what? We can't serve the Lord, right? We can't serve the Lord anymore because of your children. What? You know what you're doing. Hey, listen, parent, you know what you're doing. You're placing them above the, obeying the Lord. We better be careful about that. About, about not being able to attend services properly or, or not surrendering them to the Lord's work. I, you know, I'm shielding them. Hey, I, I want them to have this kind of a, 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 a career rather than, you know, uh, going and, and serving the Lord full, full force because uh, you've seen the preacher <laughs> and the, the tires on his truck or whatever, you know. Hey, folks, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're not to... You're, you're not to get in the way of obeying the Lord because of your children. Sometimes I'll see that with nursery and whatever. And, and there's, there's some parents, they never, they never get a chance to sit and listen to the Word of God uh, for, for years on end. Why? Because their children are, are actually utmost. And they're, something's, wrong, something's wrong with this picture. Uh, by the way, parents, anything... I don't care what it is. Husband, wife, anything you put before the Lord can be taken away. Anything is, if it's, if it's in the place where, first place where, where God should be, take that supreme uh, place, then they, folks, they can be used of tools of the devil to destroy a family. And then ultimately, the children will also be hurt because the parents didn't show a love to God supremely over everything, even over the love of their own family, which must happen. We must keep all blessings in the proper place. Okay, now, getting back to our text. You remember he, he started with, he says, this is what's going to happen in latter times. There's some going to forbid to marry and command to abstain from meats. Uh, <clears throat> where, where he says forbid to marry, you know, the, the, the subject of celibacy. <clears throat> Our text lights upon celibacy as a tool of the demonic in warping our relationship with God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. You remember what it said? Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits. Not God's spirits. Not God's direction and His Holy Spirit. No, no, no. These are evil. These are, these are wicked, dark spirits. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're speaking lies. Forbidding to marry. Goodness. This placing marriage pleasures off limits is a diabolical move of the highest satanic influence that there is that we can see today around us. Spirits that seduce, devils, lies, hypocrisy, violated consciences. Let me ask you something. Who says men are not supposed to marry? Not God. I'm telling you, it's not God. Because when you take a look at what the Bible says about what God has, has created and the institution that he began with the very first family in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and every time that we'll have a marriage, we'll go over that, that very, very first institution in the Garden, God placed man in a perfect environment and brought to him his wife. and said, they too shall be one flesh. 
See, the Bible says, and is very clear about marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Now, I, I know the, the, the text here and the context. He's talking about intense persecution in the early church and the things that, that uh, young couples will have to face if they get married. But he says, listen, if you, now notice what God says. It's not a sin to marry. It's not wrong. 1 Corinthians 7, 36, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. It's not sinful or a wrong or evil in any way to marry. As a matter of fact, on the contrary, it's God's design. Verse 38 says, so then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and they shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. How about that? Of course, this was the culmination of God's design for people. And he said it was very good. When God made Adam and Eve and, and, and that situation, he said everything he made, everything that he did here, it was good. It was very good. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. He goes down to verse number 31. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. Everything that he made. And the, the marriage institution where he brought Adam and Eve together, he says, this is good. This is very good. <clears throat> uh, before I got saved, I had a, a, a tangled theory that uh, I heard somewhere, I don't know where I got this from, and, and, uh, but uh, that uh, the forbidden fruit, we don't know if that was an apple or pear-looking thing or pomegranate or whatever, you know. I don't know, I think it might have been a fig, but uh, so... <laughs> So here, here you got this, this fruit, the forbidden fruit, and the, and the Bible doesn't say what it is or what type of fruit it is. I heard someplace and I adopted the theory that, okay, that forbidden fruit was uh, Eve. Uh, Eve was the forbidden fruit. Adam shouldn't, you know, uh, partake of Eve. That's so stupid. Um, I, you know, I'm telling you, it's so re- dumb. It was dumb. Okay. Anyway, uh, it, it, no, no, God said what he did, it was all good and and. In, in, this, in, in designing marriage, it was all good. That, that was not the forbidden fruit. As a matter of fact, when God talks about marriage, he talks about that's what ought to happen. Like, for instance, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. Let thy fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And be thou ravished always with her love. And why would thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Folks, again, this is the divine perspective. He says, within marriage, this is good. This is blessed. This is God-ordained. Outside of marriage, it's wrong. He makes it very clear. The, the, the physical, the intimate relationship, the physical relationship outside of marriage, it's wrong. It's wicked. And God will judge. He says, within, this is what should happen. You should enjoy those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, Paul says, to stay right with God, to not sin, to not you know, fall off the wagon morally, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. How about that? Now, that's what the Bible says about marriage. 
Even the example of the New Testament pastor, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife. This is what God says for a pastor, a bishop, an elder, an overseer of a church. He says, this is what is supposed to happen. He's supposed to have a family. He's supposed to have a wife. The deacons also, in uh, verse number 12, he says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children, their houses well. So it's, it's in God's example to be uh, of, of virtue and, and morality and goodness and designed to have to be married. Hebrews 13, verse number 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Remember I said here in, in the realm of marriage, God said it's right, it's designed, it is what God's will is, and then outside of that, if you have physical relationship, outside of that's wrong, that's wicked, that's very wrong, and, and will be will be judged. God tells us that the physical relationship is in marriage is honorable and it's undefiled. Now, if for some reason you look at the physical consumption of marriage in a Victorian manner, like it's, like it's bad. You know, I'm talking about the physical, the intimate, like it's bad or sinful or evil, something to be ashamed of or hidden, uh, then you've adopted the warped perspective of the devil who desires nothing more than to poison the well, than to eliminate the proper divine plan of a godly relationship between a husband and a wife. You better get that right. Uh, families, we need to have families that are strong and that, are, that, have, that are, are, are built upon the, the principles of God's word. <clears throat> of the prime time depictions of sex between two people, it's portrayed as, uh, it's usually portrayed outside of marriage, isn't it? Go ahead and test it, you know, just for yourself. Any casual TV event where you sit in front of the TV and uh, sit with a, with a notepad and see, okay, every time that there's some kind of a sexual, you know, encounter, is it between husband and wife or is it is pe- between people that are not married? Adultery or before or whatever, outside of marriage. You'll see it's, it's ridiculous how it's portrayed as though anything that's fun, anything that's good, anything that's exciting is outside of marriage. What? What in the world? If you do that, I rest my case. Why the heavy leaning on the, the wicked? Could it be that we live in the middle of a crooked and a perverse generation? That's what we are. Where we are, Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. If you do what God says, if you live the way God tells you to live, you're going to be so different than the world, you're, going to, you're not walking in lockstep, okay? That's where it's at. There's no doubt that we're inundated with sex in our media. <clears throat> An Oxford University research paper notes that, and I'll just quote it, the, uh, this is from Oxford uh, University. Portrayals of sex and sexual relationships are prevalent in mainstream media. Analysis estimate that sexual content appears in approximately 85% of major motion pictures. 85% of the movies that are, that are out there uh, portray, they portray sex some, some way, and they have a, a whole line of of uh, references of the studies that they've done. And then it goes on to say 82% of television programs, with all the studies listed, 82% of television programs portray sex. They, they you know, put that out there. 
We're certainly in a sex-drenched society in this, in this culture in which we live. That's where we are. Now, even if the majority of the physical depictions are they're, they're definitely outside of the boundaries of marriage, believer, pay attention and be careful here. It doesn't mean that those within the parameters of marriage are okay for us to consume, okay for us to, to focus on and look at and, and wonder about. Hey, you remember that for anyone to look on another with lust in their heart, for them to have, the Bible says, if they do that, they sin in their heart, according to Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. <clears throat> so just keep in mind that proper sex is with your own God-endorsed spouse. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. Remember that verse? Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. At Herbie is the loving hind, pleasant role. It's, this is where, where it ought to be. This is where it ought to, to, to uh, uh, dwell. Uh, Brother Gaddis, he, he was one of the best uh, young people preachers, uh, youth preachers ever for any of our uh, young people in our, our camps this last year. He and Brother Davison preached for our youth, uh, youth camps. And uh, this is the way he put it. And he, he taught this to his, his boy, you know, that was in the nursery, he said, what is his son's name? I don't remember. Does anybody? Is it Jason? I can't remember now. Tyler? Yeah, it was Tyler. He says, Tyler, drink from your own sippy cup. <laughs> he says, don't be drinking from other people's sippy cup. That's your sippy cup. You only drink from your sippy cup. He said, <laughs> and that's kind of funny because that's what he's telling the teenagers. And folks, that, that's a good, that is great advice for adults. You drink from your own sippy cup. Amen. All right, let's go on. <laughs> <clears throat> the, the point I'm making is that the physical, the physical relationship is good. It's ordained. It's divinely blueprinted and it's blessed in the right place at the right time. According to God, and this is how he's laid it out. This is what the Bible teaches. It's not to be forbidden. Celibacy is not the order that God has, has uh, demanded. Back to our text. Here we go in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 3. Remember, it says forbidding to marry. <clears throat> Wicked men, warped spirituality, demonically influenced uh, 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 practice tells us that it's not good for men to have wives. Forbidding to marry. Remember what he said? Hey, this is seducing spirits, doctrines of devils that, are, that is teaching that. What do you think would happen if the natural inbred desires of men... Priests, in this case, uh, on the, the uh, uh, example that's before us in the, in the media, if they were to be unnaturally squelched and thwarted in their desires, what do you think, what do you think is going to take place? What do you, you know, uh, how could this go wrong? Now, let me stop right here and say that notwithstanding the rare cases that Jesus touched upon, that certain individuals are designed for a life of a single's ministry. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse number 11. He says, But he said unto them, All men cannot receive the saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which are so born from their mother's womb, and there are some uh, eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. He says, Now some that are God designed to be this way, they have a special ministry, and, and, and that's, that's not what we're talking about. In the realm of human norms, 
Certain disaster awaits anyone venturing away from divine blueprints. A biblical example shines out in 1 Samuel chapter 14. I've shared this with you before, uh, but for those of you not have, have heard this, this is, this is a great example of what had taken place there that can illustrate what's going on in the Catholic Church today. <clears throat> in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Saul forced his troops to fast as they were pursuing their enemies. Jonathan was actually the guy that God was blessing and, and victory was, was being handed to the, the, uh, the, the uh, nation of Israel because of Jonathan, but Saul took the credit and he says, okay, well now we're, that we're, we're pursuing the Philistines, I think it was, we're pursuing them and so therefore, I, you know, let's all make a vow, all make a, a commitment that we vow not to eat anything until our enemies are destroyed. And so here they go, they're fighting on and fighting on. God gave them a great victory, but it was a long, long day. And, and they were giving out. Do you ever work at a job or whatever? And, and man, you just need, you need some energy. You need some, some nutrition. Otherwise, you're just going to give out. Well, that's the men. And God had prepared something in that forest as they were pursuing their enemies. God had provided honey that were in honeycombs that were dripping everywhere in that particular forest. Jonathan just took his, the, the end of his rod, stuck it in there, and, and ate it as he, he pursued. And man, his eyes were, were strengthened, and, and he got that, that uh, burst of energy, energy that he needed. God provided them honey along the way. They could have had a great aid and burst of energy if they were all to accept the blessings of God. But no, they were forced to abstain, to fast that day. They were pushed overboard, allowing their appetites to build until they were quite out of hand and uncontrollable, till they fell to a greater sin of violating God's command not to eat blood and the, the laws that he gave and the Levitical commands. And let's take a look at it. First Samuel chapter 14, verse 31. And they smote the Philistines that day from Mishmash to Agilon, and the people were very faint. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood, raw, right there. Didn't cook anything. They just they, they, uh, uh, cannibalized these, these livestock. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord, and then they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone on the meat. Of course they transgressed. What was going on there? God provided them exactly what they needed. They didn't take what God provided for them, and they were pushed. They still had the appetite. They still had the hunger, and it was pushed until it was, it was off rails. And then they were hungry man, savages. And then they sinned. <clears throat> Eating blood was sin, and that was made clear in the laws of God. Eating honey was provided to allow them to go on without falling to their overwhelming appetites. Eating honey is not sin. Eating blood was sin. They avoided God's providence and fell to unbridled transgression. You see what took place here? Folks, that is exactly what's going on in the situation that we, we see where men are forbidden to marry and then there's all kinds of sexual perversion and everything else because uh, men still have the desires and the inbred uh, uh, things that God has, has designed people with. 
God ordains that people fulfill their divinely designed physical appetites in marriage. When they fail to apply the divinely designed plan, you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 2, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband to not get off the rails, to not sin, to not transgress, to not get away from God. This is how this should be done. Within the binds of marriage, in, in the, the parameters of marriage, that is supposed to have uh, appetites fulfilled. Their appetites don't, don't just disappear and go away. They build to their hungers, become unattainable, uncontainable, and defiled, moving to the area of the forbidden. It's illustrated in the priesthood, but emphasized in marriages today. All right, so let's finish the passage. First Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 7. He goes on to say, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So he deals with three things here, and he's talking about in the latter, latter times culture, how you can build up, how you can be, be and remain healthy, how you can, can strengthen yourself spiritually. It's not by uh, forbidding what God doesn't forbid. He says these three things, this is what you're supposed to do in that kind of a, 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 a culture, a, a landscape. And that's where we live, three things. A profitable spiritual regiment deals with these three things. Real, real short and we'll be done. Number one, eliminate garbage, uh, junk food. Don't eat, you know, if you're going to go to some kind of a trainer, a health not to try to get you uh, healthy and exercise and, and you know, get your body the way, it, the way it ought to be. One of the first things they'll say is cut out the junk food. Eliminate garbage. Spiritual junk food is talking about here. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7, but refuse, don't eat this stuff, don't go there, don't feast on this stuff, refuse profane and old wives' fables. There are some things that just will not help us grow, will not help us mature, not going to be good for our spiritual growth and development. The things that we should avoid, and he talks about profane, old wives, profanity for sure, that's the denial of the sacred. Folks, there are some things that are sacred. We were just going over this yesterday in the men's Bible study where Moses went up to the mount and, man, God made the parameters there were, there were boundaries for the people, and he says, and then you take the 70, and they come up over here, and then you take uh, Aaron and her, and then you come further, and, and, and don't, don't uh, uh, go beyond the border. Don't try to peer into uh, the cloud, and don't do that. And, and God had a respect, and, and the Bible says that when Moses went up there, it looked like the top of the mountain was on fire, and there was a, there was a God was, was promoting the, 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 the sacred Hey, folks, it's sacred. When we come to God, when we deal with God, it's, it's something that is, that is uh, 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 sacred, not common. When we get together to worship before him, get into his word, it's a sacred time. It's a time where we should prepare our hearts and a time where we listen to the Lord. And that's what profanity is. Profanity is the denial of the sacred and then superstition, avoid that. He says, old wives' fables. Uh, old wives' tales abound. And he says, jettison that, that junk, that stuff for the truth. In any healthy, conscious body training, 
The first thing that is amended is the consumption of all the things that will be bad for you. Get rid of the junk food. Quit eating garbage. Eliminate garbage. Things that will not help your ultimate, ultimate health or build proper muscle mass. And so the first thing he says is refuse. These are the things to refuse. Eliminate garbage. Number two, eat good. Eat the right foods. You know, you, you see a nutritionist, and what are they going to say? How, you, how do you develop? How do you, you, you build up? How do you get healthy? Well, you eat right. And he says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. See, godliness can include God's values and his plans, his will. It's found between the covers of this book. This is, if you want to know what godliness is, it's not this junk out there and this uh, pseudo-spirituality that's all around us. You know, forbidding things that God doesn't forbid or going and getting into... No, no, it's right here. Right here. Eat good. Godliness. The things that, that are found right here in the scripture. Our superfood, our health food, our blueprinted nutrition is right here in the book. Psalm 19, verse number 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Talk about the words of God, the, 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 the uh, scriptures that God's given us. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Job says, neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary... When he says more, it means more important. On a higher plane, this should take a greater focus than my necessary food, than my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. More than, you know, if you, if you miss a meal, which doesn't look like too many of us are missing very many meals here, you know, but if you miss a meal, you kind of, you, uh, you know, uh, uh, feel it. You can't think of anything else. You know, it's, it's kind of forefront on your, on your importance to eat. Make sure that you eat. And you know what, he, what Job said is, you know what? His words are even higher. They're more, they're more important than my necessary, for, than, than the food I eat three times a day or twice a day. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. And not just pleasant words, but of course God's words. Oh my goodness, health to the bones. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I tell you what, I've been enjoying these last couple of years. I don't know, I've known the Lord now for since uh, 1974. And it just, his word seems to be getting sweeter and sweeter every year. In these last couple of years, the, the time in devotions and time with the Lord has just been so good. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, my, my body's going to fight it. You know, just like prayer, just like sometimes coming to church or sometimes, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. Your body's going to fight it. But you get into the word of God and and you open yourself up to the Lord, it's just so good, so good for your soul. Nothing like, but you, you, you're fed from the, the sincere milk of the word, and you grow thereby. It's, it's health to your bones. The job of pastors are to lead the sheep to good pastures. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 2, he says to the preachers, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And that means, you know, feeding the... Folks, the things that we're going over here, like tonight, this stuff, you're not going to hear this anywhere else. You will hear it in a good, solid church that takes the principles of the Word of God and makes it, you know, acceptable and understandable. This is feeding the flock of God, and, and, it's, and it's the Word of God that we should be uh, ingesting and, and, and taking. So, okay, profitable spiritual regimen, three things. Eliminate garbage, eat good, 
exercised godliness. Look at what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profit a little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is, and that is uh, of that which is to come. You know what? You know what exercise is. You know when you exercise your muscles, it's resistance. That's what it is physically. If you look at what exercise is, I'm not the guy. I'm not the expert at this. You know, I look at the, you know, health clubs and stuff like that. And I love to avoid health clubs. <laughs> One time, I got this one, you know, thing at a health club, and I, I went there for a few times, and that was it. And I was like, and so I'm not the kind of guy, that, you know, Brother Chip or Brother David or somebody else in the, in the, in the auditorium. Now, they could talk about that. But you know what, what exercise is? What exercise is? It's, it's, it's placing resistance on the muscle, resisting what it does, and that's what actually builds it up. And, and what he's saying here. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. He's saying practice resistance. Exercise. Building muscle is a process of resistance. Resisting the movement of muscles builds them up little by little. To exercise godliness is to continually push. Continue in a program of resisting the flesh. Stretching out our faith. Uh, practicing and, and, and getting into devotions and prayer and fasting and meditation Memorizing the word of God, they're difficult and they're hard. And hey, fight against uh, the the, uh, uh, the the carnal nature of tendency to, to to work against that. See, I want to develop in my status, my maturity, my walk, and my faith. S- simply cut out the junk, eat good, and exercise godliness. You know, I loved candy when I was growing up. It seemed like we would go. You know, Halloween was a big deal. This is way before we ever knew the Lord back in Chicago. We go door to door. And, and you know, it's one of those things where you can actually go to a house and, and ask for candy, and they give you candy. And, and we just went overboard. I mean, we went out, filled bags and bags and bags of candy. I probably shouldn't talk about this because it's probably not a good thing. But anyway, but that, I'm just saying what we did. We filled bags of candy, came, uh, came to the house, dumped it off, got another bag, and just went out and just kept on doing that all night long till you know, 10, 30, 11 at night, knocking on, get away, go away, go home now. You know, and we just... I oh, just crazy, crazy for candy. That's the way I grew up. And then somewhere along the line, I learned how detrimental all that junk was for me. And it was a mindset change to where I changed. And I've learned to like healthy since that time. I've learned to like nutritious food over junk food. Now I'd rather have a pepper and hummus dip than a candy bar. <laughs> really, no, no kidding. Um, but it, there's been a change. <clears throat> you know, folks, before I was saved, I went for junk food. But now, since I've been saved, I'd rather read the Word. I'd rather talk to the Lord. I'd, I, I'd rather um, Walk with him. I'd, I'd rather meditate in his word and step out by faith and get into something detrimental to my eternal state. See, folks, appetites can change. They're going to take some work. Three things. Remember, three things in this world. Eliminate garbage. Eat good. Exercise godliness. That's how to operate in these last days. Every head bowed. Nobody looking for just a moment. Lord, thank